Would you pray with me? God, we do praise your name. For you alone are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. God, we trust you and we trust your character. And we praise you and we're gathered here as a family of faith, a church family to praise you. God, this morning we look at a passage that we read it and it brings comfort, it brings peace. But God, it's hard for us to put into practice. To day in and day out, to not be anxious about things in this life, about seasons in this life, about things that we deal with. God, it's hard for us not to be anxious. It's easy for us to trust ourselves and it's hard for us to turn to you. And so God, as we look at your word this morning, we pray that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would would guide our time and that your word would pierce our hearts when we hear, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present our request to you. That God, you would be the first place we turn. And God, it would become such a habit for us that we don't even think about it, but that we trust you and we turn to you. So God, as we open your word, we ask you to speak. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter four. And if you will, go ahead and and turn to Psalm chapter one and just put a finger in Psalm chapter one and we'll flip there in just a few minutes. We'll start in Philippians and we'll end in Philippians, but we'll go to Psalm chapter one as well. This passage that was submitted as a favorite was It wasn't the most favorite, but it was submitted as one of the top five, uh, if not the top three or so. It's It's one of those that was many people's favorites because it does bring so much peace and so much comfort, but it is hard for us to practice this. And so we're gonna see what the Apostle Paul has to say to us and what God's word has to say to how we can practice this passage and how we can trust him and turn to him in all situations. Philippians chapter four, verse four, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Gordon MacDonald is, is a famous author, and you may have read some books by, by Gordon MacDonald. He wrote one book called The Life God Blesses, Weathering the Storms of Life That Threaten Our Soul. And in that book, Gordon MacDonald tells a, a parable or a story about a boat called the Persona. And the, the title of the parable is The Wreck of the Persona. The story is about a very prosperous, wealthy man who decides that he is going to build the biggest, best, most expensive, most finely decorated, most fancy yacht that the, the world has ever seen. And so he begins to build this long process of building such a boat. And as he builds it, he, he can just hear 
the praise and applause of men that once he gets this project completed of what people will say about this boat that he has built and how great of a boat it is and how fancy it is and how finely decorated it is and how expensive it must have been. And so he builds the boat with those praise and applause in mind. And it inspires him to build this, this grand boat. And he spares no expense. He spares no effort, no time, no energy. He wants this to be the most talked about yacht that has ever sailed. And so he begins to design this boat and the sails were large hand-sewn sails. And the mast was a, a large wooden, finely finished wooden mast. And all of the fittings on the boat are polished brass and, and fine teak wood. And this was a large boat and all of the staterooms that there was comfort and convenience that people couldn't imagine in these staterooms. And so it, it, he began to design this boat, extremely fancy, expensive, extravagant. And he put the name of the boat in gold, large gold letters that were readable from a long distance away on the, on the front bow on either side of the persona. He wanted people to know about this boat and to see this boat and to talk about this boat. And as he built the boat with, with the praise and applause of men in, in, in mind and designing this fancy boat, he gave very little time and attention to the keel of the boat, to what was under the water, to anything having to do with proper weight distribution and balance. Because nobody saw that part and nobody talked about that part. And if they did, they didn't make any comments to him. And so he focused on what you could see and how fancy and extravagant this boat would be. And so he built the boat and after a couple of years of this big project, it was time for the maiden voyage and people at this yacht club were all gathered around and they're ooing and aahing over the boat and saying how great of a boat this is, that this will surely make us the talk of the yachting world and that this man would surely become the commodore of their yacht club. And so they're standing around watching and he sets sail on the maiden voyage and the persona. And as he's standing there steering the boat with the large wooden steering wheel that controls the rudder, he has a sense of pride and a sense of accomplishment about what he has built and the praise and the applause of the men and women that he can hear. And as he, he feels a sense that he's in control of the boat and that he is in control of even the ocean and before too long, the persona is just, you can just barely see it on the horizon, just a blip on the horizon. And not too far out to sea, not too many miles out to sea, a storm comes and it's not a, not a hurricane, but it's not a small thunderstorm either. It's a, a strong storm with winds in excess of 40 miles an hour and 15 foot waves. And so the persona, this great grand yacht begins to be tossed and turned by the waves and the wind and the sails are torn. There's, they're just a mess. These beautiful hand-sewn sails, that large wooden mast has been snapped into. Water begins to come over the bow of the boat and the teak wood and all the polished brass is getting messed up and wet and water begins to fill the boat. And then a big wave comes and it capsizes the boat. Now it's important to note that had he given proper time and attention to the foundation or the underside of the boat, what was under the water, that most boats would have righted themselves in that situation. But because he didn't pay any attention to that, the persona began to sink and the man drowned in the middle of this storm along with the boat. And several months later, many months later, as the, the boat, the pieces of the boat washed ashore, it was only then that people realized that this man had built only half a boat. They discovered that there were no emergency devices on board. There were no emergency life vests, no emergency radios, no emergency rafts or lifeboats that would have this boat prepared for a storm. That he had built only half a boat and he quickly, the name of the boat was forgotten, the name of the man was forgotten and he quickly became known as the foolish man. But who would build only half a boat and set it to sail Anybody who would set sail would know that you have to be prepared for storms. 
and that storms will come when you're on the water and they often come quickly and unexpectedly. And so if your boat is not prepared for it, then you're in trouble as was the builder and the owner of the persona. And for many of us, we build, we build our lives and live our lives in that same manner. That we, we know and we've put our trust and our faith in God and we know that he is in control. But we don't build on that foundation that we have in Christ. We don't give any time and attention to that foundation. Instead, we go through life trusting ourselves and worrying about what people around us think and what, how we're gonna build our life in this world and not trusting in that firm foundation in Christ. And when we trust ourselves, that's when anxiety comes in. That's when we turn to anxiety and we worry and we fear because we're in control and God is not in control. And in Psalm chapter one, Psalm chapter one, we see a clear picture of these two different paths, of two different lives. The book of Psalm is, Psalms is a book of prayer and praise. And it's at the beginning that the psalmist lays out these two paths. There's one path that God's, is God's design for us and there's another that is not. That's a life trusting in ourselves. And so in Psalm chapter one, it says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That is God's design for us. That is God's desire for us in salvation, that we are firmly planted and firmly rooted in a firm foundation on the life that he gives, and on us trusting in him and not trusting in ourselves. We're like trees planted by streams of water. Trees planted by streams, they flourish even in the middle of a drought because they've got deep roots that are going down to that water and that stream of water that gives them life. And his delight, our delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law we meditate day and night that we fill ourselves with God's word, trusting his character, that we know who he is and we trust his character, that he's loving and faithful to us, but not so the wicked. The wicked, those who have turned from God and turned to themselves, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff, they're unstable. When we trust ourselves and we stand on our foundation instead of standing on our foundation in Christ, we're like chaff that's blown away. We're like the persona that's not built properly without a proper foundation. But when we trust in God, we don't have to be anxious. We stand on this firm foundation, trusting in him. And Paul, in the book of Philippians, in the fourth chapter, he gives us instructions. The subheading in your Bible might say exhortations. These exhortations were their strong, emphatic instructions to the believers of the church in Philippi that apply to us also to apply these things to our lives, to live this way, to build on this foundation in Christ, not, not build on our own lives and trust in ourselves. And so Paul gives these instructions or exhortations that apply to us. The book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi is his most loving, encouraging letter. Often in Paul's letters, he was dealing with 
with reproof and rebuke and correction in the churches that he was writing to. But the church in Philippi, he loved the church. Most people think it was the first church that he planted and he loved the church and he's sending them instructions and exhortations on how to live in this firm foundation in Christ. And the first thing that we read in verse four is to, let, is to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. The first instruction is rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice too. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is not a suggestion from Paul. This is a command. He says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Don't, don't trust, don't rejoice in your circumstances, but rejoice in the Lord. Maintaining an attitude and a spirit of joy in all things. That in all circumstances, we maintain this attitude and spirit of joy because we're rejoicing in the Lord and what he has done for us and rejoicing in our foundation in him and not rejoicing in ourselves and what we do and trusting in ourselves. But we, and not rejoicing in our circumstances, we rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I'll say it again, rejoice. The second thing in verse five, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your gentleness be evident to all. In the original Greek language, the word that's used for gentleness, we don't really have a good English word to translate the point, the, the instruction that Paul is giving. So when you look at different translations, you see several different words that are in there. Some translations have gentleness. Other translations have forbearance. Let your forbearance be made known to all. And other translations have they have gentleness, they have forbearance, they have reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to all. Well, what a great word that is, that in, in all situations, in all circumstances, act reasonable. These instructions that Paul is giving to the church in Philippi and to us. And another translation says graciousness. Let your graciousness be evident to all has the idea of contentment. Paul deals a lot in, in Philippians chapter four with contentment, especially later on in the chapter, but has the idea of contentment, that we have a humility about us, the idea of setting aside our own rights and our own interest in consideration of others, that nobody owes us anything, nor should we expect anything from anybody. God doesn't owe us anything. So we have an attitude of graciousness. Our graciousness is evident to all. To all. What Paul's talking about here is viewing all of life through the lens of the gospel. That the gospel is not that we are good. The gospel is not that you and I are good. The gospel is that God is good. And when we're at our worst, not when we're at our best, but when we're at our worst, he loves us anyway. And he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be made right with him. That's grace. And God has extended that grace to us and we should extend that to others in all circumstances. Let our gentleness or our graciousness be evident to all. That as God has been gracious to us, we act with grace towards others. In all relationships, in our family relationships, in our friendships, in our working relationships with coworkers and supervisors and those that we work with, that we act with grace. Extending grace to all, with neighbors, whatever our earthly relationships are that we act with grace in all those things, viewing those people through the lens of the gospel the same way that God views us. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Be, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He, he's near in space, meaning in proximity, that the Lord dwells in us. He dwells within us through the Holy Spirit, allowing us to let that gentleness be evident to all. And he's near in time. So he's near in space or proximity, and the Lord is near in time. The Philippian believers and Paul, they thought that Jesus would return. His second coming would be within their lifetime. So they are living life 
focused on his return, thinking that it was imminent within their lifetime. And when, they, when we live in light of the second coming of Christ, it changes our perspective on things. That a lot of the human differences and, and arguments and disagreements that we have seem petty and futile when we look to the second coming of Christ, knowing that he will come and he will make all things new. And so we can let our gentleness and let our graciousness be evident to all living in light of his return, that he's near in space, he dwells in us, and he's near in time, that he will return, that Christ will come again, and he will make all things new. So Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, and that leads right into don't be anxious about anything. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in everything, in good times, in bad times, present your requests to God. Through prayers and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So the third thing that we see is to have a confident faith in the Lord, that we stand on this firm foundation in Christ, that we trust that he is in control and that we are not, that we surrender all to him, that surrender and submit to his will in our lives, trusting him. That's so hard for us to practice. When those times of anxiety come, it's, it's easy and it's natural for us to trust in ourselves. King David in the Old Testament is a great example of the difficulty that we have in trusting God in all circumstances. King David, he's in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22, he's fleeing from King Saul. And he, he's scared, he's, he's fearing Saul. Saul's trying to kill him, and so he's fleeing from him. And he goes to the king in Gath. The king's name was Achish. The king's name was Achish, and so David is going to go to King Achish to seek refuge. And he goes to the king, and at, when he gets to the palace, some of the king's men, they're like, whoa, 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 this is, this is King David. Remember, David is, he's king, and he's going around, and he's, he, he's taking over a lot of these nations, and so they're like, well, what's he coming here to do? And so King David goes in there and says, uh, is, the, is this not David that we sing about, that Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? That they fear King David, and so David is, he senses their fear, and he's like, well, they're going to harm me too. And so instead of trusting in the character of God, that surely King David, a man after God's own heart, knows God's character, but instead of trusting in God, he turns to himself, and he turns to anxiety, and he tells us that he begins to act like he's crazy. That he loses his mind and begins to act like he's crazy. He starts making markings all over the entrance to the king's palace, all over the gates and the walls, and he starts drooling and letting saliva build all over his beard, acting like he's insane. And so King Achish's men are like, whoa, 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 we don't need any more crazy people around here. And the king says the same thing. So they, they get rid of David, and David flees. And it says in the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 22, it says that he fled to a cave in Agilom. So David flees there and he's forgotten his identity in God. He's forgotten God's character. And then in Psalm 57, it's a Psalm of David when he had fled from Saul into the cave. So after David's act like, acted like a crazy person, trusting in himself, we hear what he says and prays in Psalm chapter 57. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends his love and his faithfulness. Verse five, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Verse nine and 10, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love. Reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. David has forgotten 
his foundation in his heavenly father. He's forgotten God's character and he's turned to himself, but then he gets to the cave and he begins to remind himself. He begins to stand on that firm foundation, trusting in God's character, trusting in the love and the faithfulness of God, reminding himself of who God is. And that's great practice for us because so often we're like David and we trust in ourselves instead of trusting in God and standing on his promises. And so great practice for us is to turn to his word and to read the Psalms like this where David is praising God. Yes, he's asking God to have mercy on him, but in the midst of this trial, he's praising God. Saying, these men are after me, but God, I trust in you. Your love and your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. He's praising God in the midst of this. He's turning to his, his heavenly father in all circumstances, even when he had just tried to trust in himself. And he got to a place where he said, no, I've got to stand on the firm foundation that I have in my heavenly father. A confident faith in the Lord, turning to God's word, reminding ourselves of his faithfulness, reminding ourselves that he is the God who never slumbers or sleeps, that he is the mighty one, that he is faithful even when we are not, that he is a loving God and that he cares for us as his children. But often that's the hardest place for us to turn because our desire is to trust in ourselves. This year in our church family, we've been spending time focusing on the spiritual discipline of prayer. And earlier in the year, we had a short sermon series on prayer. And then March 5th on a Sunday evening, we had a, a night of prayer for our church family where we had almost 50 homes all across our city with over 700 people from our church family gathered together to pray and to seek God and say, God, our trust is in you. Our trust is not in ourselves. We trust in you. And so we've focused on this spiritual discipline of prayer. And Tim Keller defines prayer this way. It's a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. A personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. When we pray, we're praying, trusting in the character of God and trusting in our knowledge of who he is, which means we have to have a right understanding of who God is. If our knowledge of God or our view of God is false, then our prayers, or it's a small view of God, then our prayers will reflect that. But if we have a proper God-sized view of God, then we pray based on his character and trusting in his character. It's a response, a, commu a personal communicative response to his knowledge. And Paul lays out, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer. That's prayer in the general sense of spiritual devotion or an act of worship, of turning to the Lord. And then he says petitions, that's presenting our requests to God with thanksgiving. Those petitions are our requests, and he says, with thanksgiving that there is a humble gratitude that should be the basis of all of our prayers, that we pray with humility and thanksgiving that God loves us and that as we pray, he'll lovingly give us what we need. It might not be what we're praying for, but that he will lovingly get us what we need and what, not what our desires are, but what his desires are and what his will is for our lives and not what our will is. So prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving. And for many of us, when we want to turn to God and we know that's where we should turn and we should stand on this firm foundation, but we don't know where to start with prayer. And so I wanna quickly give us two models for prayer. Two models, and these aren't, this is not the end all be all. This is not, you gotta pray this way. This is to help us that when we turn to God in prayer that we have a place to start and a model to follow. And the first one many of us have probably heard is the ACTS model of prayer. That the, the letters A-C-T-S. And we start with adoration, that's the A, praising God, praising God for who he is, giving praise to him through prayer. 
And the second one is C, confession, that we confess our sins to God. We acknowledge that we fall short of what he intends for us, that we've missed the mark and we confess our sins to him, but we also confess that he is God and that we are not, that he is in control and that we are not. So we confess. And then the third one, the T is thanksgiving. That as Paul mentions, we have that humble, that humble gratitude that is the basis of all of our prayers, that we pray in thanksgiving, thanking God for who he is and thanking him that no matter what the outcome, that we trust him, that he'll lovingly give us what we need, not just what we're praying for, not just what we're asking for, but his will be done. And then the S is supplications, those petitions or requests that we present to God. And oftentimes we we hear people say, or, or we may read in different books that we shouldn't just spend our time on the supplications, on the requests that we're presenting to God. That shouldn't be the only way that we pray. And that's true, it shouldn't be, but Paul makes it pretty clear that in everything, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's what it is to turn to God in prayer, that we're presenting to him our needs. We're presenting to him our requests. That's okay for us to do that. That's trusting in him. Not trusting in ourselves, but trusting in him. So A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Another great model for us is the model that Jesus gave us. When we turn to pray, we look at the Lord's, at the Lord's prayer. When Jesus' disciples in Matthew chapter six said, Lord, teach us to pray. Je- Jesus didn't answer them with, well, you know, there's really no, no right way to pray. There's no one way to pray that's better than another. No, he gives them a model to follow so that when they pray, they, they can base their prayers on this model prayer, the Lord's prayer. And it starts with our father in heaven, hallowed be your name starting with praise and adoration. Holy is your name, God. We're not holy, you are. We trust in you, you're holy, praising him. And then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's that humility, that thanksgiving, praying with an attitude of thanks in all things. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. That's petitions, that it's okay to ask God to meet our needs. It's okay to pray for those who to pray for those who are sick. It's okay to get, to turn to God in seasons when we we may need something. We may financially we may have an issue. God, we need you to meet our need. But notice that it says, "Just give us today our daily bread. Don't give us more than we need, God, lest we forget our need for you." So give us today our daily bread. Those petitions. And then forgive us our debts, confessing our sins to God, pleading the blood of Christ over our sins. God, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for missing the mark that you you set for us as we also have forgiven our debtors that not only do we want God to forgive us, but God, we need to forgive others. Help us to do that. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then the last part, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, protection from evil. So Jesus lays out the prayer for us, starting with praise and then thanksgiving and gratitude and petitions, presenting our request to God and then confession and then protection from evil. God, we wanna be like trees planted by streams of water. We wanna be free from wickedness and free from evil. So keep us from temptation, keep us from the evil one, that he gives us this model to follow in a great way for us when we, when we want to turn and we know that we should turn and trust in God in everything, that this gives us a great model to follow. And so a great way for us to start when we don't know how to pray is to pray through the Lord's Prayer a few times or to turn to the book of Psalms and pray through some of those passages 
as prayer and praise to the Lord. And that leads us into our prayer times, prayer time, filling ourselves with the word of God as we approach him in prayer, building on our foundation in Christ. And then the last thing that we see in Philippians chapter four, after Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we pray in all things with thanksgiving, presenting our requests to God, God gives us his peace. He gives us his peace. A peace that passes all human understanding. That when people look at our life, when we're standing in that firm foundation in Christ, that we're letting our gentleness be known, be evident to all, and we're rejoicing in the Lord always, and we're surrendering to him in everything in prayer and trusting in him, we have his peace. So when the, Lord look, when the world looks at us and they say, how can that person be at peace in the middle of the storm or the season of life that they're going through? We can say it's because we stand on our foundation in the Lord. We stand on this foundation trusting him in all circumstances and at all times in that he gives us peace, that even in the middle of this, we can stand firm in him and we have peace. In this passage that Paul gives us, these instructions, these exhortations, this is what we want to do. This is our desire, but it's so hard for us to turn there, to stand on this foundation. And unlike the builder of that boat, the persona, when we stand on this foundation, we're prepared for those storms. We don't have to be anxious. We don't trust in ourselves. We trust in our heavenly father and we stand on this foundation. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter six, at the end of Matthew chapter six, he's, talk, he's, he's saying to his followers, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough, enough worry of itself or today has enough problems of its own. Tomorrow, let's worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. C.S. Lewis said, relying on God, relying on God has to start over every day as if nothing has yet been done. This idea of turning to God in everything in prayer is a daily process of saying, God, today I need you. I'm gonna rely on you today and then when we get to tomorrow, we have to do it over again because our natural tendency is to trust ourselves instead of standing on our firm foundation in Christ. But he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Would you pray with me?